This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. Right now, perhaps more than ever, if you're angry, if you're sad, if you feel divided, if you feel hungry, make sure that you quell all of your hangry cures by going and registering to vote. It couldn't be more important, and we're just a few days out from this nation's November 6th elections. If you're curious about where to sign up, if you're curious about how to find your polling location, make sure to visit vote.org. It's not about politics. This is about your voice, and I think everyone should have a voice. Hi, I'm Elliot, and I'm unregistered to vote, and that's a problem. It's a big problem. If you go to vote.org right now, you'll be able to figure out exactly where your polling location is, how to make sure that you cast a vote by election day, and if you're out of town or if you're not nearby your polling site, they'll help you with that too. Make sure to sign up at www.vote.org and stay tuned for your post-election day result recap on the American Enough podcast wherever you pop. This is American Enough with your host, Vikram Iyer. So there have been uh, reports coming out as we go into the midterm elections uh, in the United States in 2018 that on the Democratic side of the, the aisle, down ballot races, there have been you know record number of first time candidates, record number of women candidates, record number of minority candidates. Um, and while those are interesting data points to look at, when you look at the top of the ticket, um, the Democratic Party, uh, in terms of a potential presidential front runner or nominee, I mean even the DNC's own leadership, it tends to to reconstitute familiar names. Right. Um, I mention this because on the Republican side. You have a very robust infrastructure when it comes to talent development and Absolutely. pipeline development. We're not just talking about first-time candidates. We're talking about harnessing the power of talent on college campuses, mm-hmm. interventions for those that at a certain point in maybe business or private sector or nonprofit work showing promise. There's a recruitment infrastructure coming out of national committees. And then, of course, there is the very robust effort that you lead at the College Republicans National Committee. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about why you think the GOP in this country has been so successful at maintaining a solid bench of growth for candidates for office. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on here. Um, You know, I I think you said it best. We have a very robust uh, pool of candidates, of activists, of of operatives and operatives training to be. Um, You know, that's one of the reasons why we had 20-some-odd candidates in 2016 run for president and countless more that are, uh, that are governors and, and senators, congressmen, and not even down from that, thousands of state legislators that have been elected on the Republican ticket in the last eight to 10 years. Um, at this point, we've got one of the strongest legislative uh, numbers that the party has ever had uh, between our members of the House, Senate, county office holders, the president, um, and state legislators. That translates down to what our activists are seeing uh, on and off campus. I mean, we have we have a strong number of, uh, of college students that are joining our organization, that are joining um, the young Republicans when they graduate college. 
And the RNC does a great job of reaching out to these folks to ensuring not only that they are looped in with what the party's doing, but they're they're trained to be the best activists they can in their own sectors, whether it be uh, you know realtors and such, and working with the RNC on their some of their uh, first-time home buyer programs to help convey what the president and Republican accomplishments have been to first-time home buyers and FHA loans. Um, you know, the, the, our party has a very distinct way of of training our activists into every sector of life that we might find them. Because um, it's something that we've learned over the past 10 years or so, it's that politics isn't a one-sector game. Uh, it's, it's in every aspect of life. You can't just talk to people about politics and call it a day. Uh, you've got to uh, be acquainted with them. You've got to break the initial barrier of wanting to talk about politics, because we all know it's not the easiest thing to talk about sometimes. Uh, break the initial friendship barrier and then start talking about the, uh, the issues that, that matter and might have changed on this particular subject. Um, we're, we're a great party in that we have such a diversity of thought, uh, of talent. Um, we've got great governors who have a lot of different beliefs. Um, we've got some of the most popular governors in the country. Governor Baker, Governor Hogan in Maryland, uh, Governor Sununu and Governor Scott up in the Northeast. They have distinctly unique views to some of the other elected officials that we have in our party. That broad diversity of thought and of talent uh, is present in all sectors of our party. Our college uh, Republicans on campuses across the country have very broad diversity of thought, of beliefs, but they're all unified in that we're conservatives that believe in less government, uh, deregulating the economy, deregulating some of the overburdens and regulations that have been put in place over the last decade, and ensuring continued growth of our, of our economy. Um, and that's something that will always be there. Uh, no matter what, what uh, the current thought of the day is, no matter what trend might be might be there for policy. Um, RCRs are very proud of the diverse party that we have in terms of thought and intellectual leadership. And that's something that they're unified in, in expanding and continuing to make sure that our party is expanding its government uh, elected officials at all part uh, at all levels. What, what is the infrastructure <clears throat> on a college campus look like um, for college Republicans? And, and sure. I ask this knowing it's not monolithic, but yeah. um, from your perch and your organization's uh, <laughs> Uh, mandate. Yep. Are you there to help give students who are interested in, in build a community organizing around um, their GOP outlook uh, the tools they need to build that? Is this more about uh, promotion or pushing of certain candidates around elections, or what does it look like? Absolutely. Well, we're, we consider ourselves a big tent organization. Uh, there's a lot of other great uh, organizations that are on campus that do great work advocating for free speech, advocating for conservative values, advocating for um, you know, uh, capitalism and such. We're a home for all of these groups. We have uh, some of the largest infrastructure of any college organization among any partisan or ideological boundaries. We've been around for 125 years plus years now in all 50 states, Washington, D.C., and Puerto Rico. Um, and, you know, to, to what you mentioned about our purpose, all of the above is kind of what we do. During election times, we make sure that our, can our CRs are out there knocking doors, supporting their local candidates, supporting their local party, whether that be their wh whoever the candidate might be for state representative or assembly, all the way up to Congress, uh, Senate, and the uh, President of the United States. When we move past the elections in November, some of our CRs are focused on ex recruiting new members through debates they might have with Young Americans for Liberty or the College Democrats and these ideological debates that are going on on campus, which are so important to, to our organization and to our membership because... 
you know, these students in, in school, they're, they're developing what their thought process is going to be. They're developing what their political identities are. So having some of these debates with these other organizations on campus are so crucial to that so that all of our members are able to be well-rounded in, in their opinions, able to stand up for their opinions, and also so they can recruit new members. You know, I, I remember when I was in, camp, uh, in college you know, attending some of these debates and saying, you know, I never thought about it that way, but I don't know if I agree with it, but I don't know if I disagree with it. So it makes you leave thinking. Um, beyond that, a lot of our clubs, uh, we, we like to train them to be effective advocates for, for what they believe on campus, effective community organizers, working with some of the uh, existing structures, uh, political structures that we have internally that some organizations like the RNC has in its building on campus to be effective community organizers on campus, off election cycles that tell you what the party is doing, what the party is doing uh, for students on campus, what uh, our Republican leaders are doing in the state house, in the, in the halls of Congress so that we can effectively continue to build that uh, bench of activists and operatives to be uh, to be successful in the next election to come. You mentioned the identity that an individual um, party member may have. Um, at a young age to an older age, obviously that thinking can and, and will evolve. Absolutely. Um, and there's no monolithic definition of what it means to be a Democrat or a Republican, but as you mentioned, there are some core tenets. Um, kind of want to ask you about sure. how you view the face and identity of the Republican Party from the lens of a college student or college campuses. Specifically, you know, right now, one can look at either party and say that they're going through massive self-examinations. Famously, after uh, the 2012 presidential election, um, where uh, Romney was defeated by uh, Obama, there was a, a, a... post-mortem document that was actually published. Absolutely. Um, it, it said, you know, there it outlined certain demographics that the party felt that it needed to target. Fast forward a few years, you have an um, entire overhaul of the, um, uh, the party's uh, face of leadership, maybe not the, the ideologies of the leadership, mm-hmm. but the face of leadership through the election of President Trump. Um, and a lot of people are wondering what that tone that's being set means for the longevity of the Republican Party. Now, if you take that entire debate that's playing out day-to-day in our headlines, but then you remove yourselves from that and take a look at a Republican on a college campus, mm-hmm. what are they seeing in the world when it comes to what their party is? Are they looking at what is happening in D.C. with this presidency and sort of the drama around certain scandals and headlines as mm-hmm. impacting the party, or are they viewing it through a different lens? And what's your organization's role in, in harnessing those tensions? Absolutely. I think... One thing, most importantly, that not only are college Republicans, but also a lot of people who aren't inside baseball are, are realizing is that whenever they turn on the news, the media, whatever it is, the media likes to focus on drama and on what's sexy and on the fight, um, not on the accomplishments. I mean, nobody knows that we are in one of the most successful Congresses of all time right now. I mean, the president has signed hundreds of bills that have done so much to help our, our country and our economy and deregulating some of the overburdens and regulations at the EPA and the EPS and uh, signing whistleblower protection uh, for the Department of Veteran Affairs. You know, these are things that aren't reported on. And uh, the news media is all about ratings. Um, But what RCRs and what a lot of people are seeing right now, the economy is doing great. I mean, you know, I've been working for a few years and I've never seen my 401k rise so much as after the president was inaugurated. Um, people are graduating college with higher wages than they, and higher salaries than they were years ago. Less, less young people are moving back in with their parents when they graduate. 
that's what I think people are concerned about. I mean, when I was in college, what was I talking about? What were some of my peers talking about? What are our CRs talking about now is, yeah, I've got a bunch of student loans, but, you know, I'm going to get a job making a great, great salary after school. I'm going to be able to repay that. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to be able to get my own apartment. This is great. I don't yeah. have to have four roommates like I do in my college, you know, one-bedroom college dorm anymore. This is awesome. You know, people are focused on their own opportunities that are abound. And right now, there's so many opportunities. There's more jobs right now than there are people looking for jobs for the first time in years. This is all fantastic news that the president and that the party uh, and our leaders in Congress have shepherded through and are extremely important to, to RCRs as they're, you know, graduating and going on to seek the next opportunities in their life. Some of these opportunities that were lacking or more starved for the last several years, especially under the uh, previous administration... You know, they delayed such important decisions that our young people have. Graduating college, uh, proposing and moving in with their significant others, having a family, buying their first home. These are all decisions that were delayed years because of a disastrous economic record that, that has since been turned around and, and uh, drastically improved. So it's not only the economic impacts we're facing right now, but when our students are, are graduating, when they're doing some of these important decision makings, moving in with their significant others, buying homes, having sure. kids, starting sure. families, these are long-term economic effects that we're just going to see continue to, to grow because of the great economic strides that we've made. So that, that I think, is the most important thing. You know, people talk about student loans and all this stuff, but we, we, there's a, a place and a time, and a, those are all important discussions to have. But one of the most important things to, to note here is that we have seen a huge increase in economic performance. And, and that economic mobility and certainty couldn't be more important, particularly if you take a look at you know, in the 2008, 2009 Great Recession. During the time of that downturn, you had students graduating from undergrad, from law school, all sort of wondering where they would go, even Absolutely. with their high skill training. Um, What's next? What, what's next? And, and that is undoubtedly important, and, and certainly anyone can debate the merits as to whether those investments in the economy you know, can be credited to one party or the other. But putting that po- those politics aside, mm-hmm. one thing that is interesting to me um, is your organization, College Republicans, um, in general, focus mm-hmm. on, when we talk about focusing on talent development, Absolutely. when you take a look at the... Um, face of any leader. The past couple of uh, elections, special mm-hmm. elections we've had over the last two years, have, have been a little bit ripe with, for lack of a better term, drama. You know, we've had um, sexual assault allegations that have come to life. We've had pretty vitriolic campaign stump speeches. Um, we've had uh, commentary about, um, you know, whether or not you could uh, assault somebody at a rally in a campaign. Now, this is the animation of mm-hmm. America's political dynamics, no right. doubt. Um, but what is the role when we see leaders that are acting in a way where maybe perhaps in U.S. history we haven't seen those actions, not necessarily to critique and fixate on that one individual, but mm-hmm. to rather say to the next generation of, of candidates that are going through the pipeline, that are thinking about running for office, what's the responsibility of an organization like yours to talk about the right way to lead versus talking about how people see leadership maybe playing out willy-nilly in those headlines? Right. Well, I think what's important for, for our members on campus is instilling them and working with them to show programming and to have that uh, discussion, like the debates that we mentioned earlier on policy, but also have some of our speakers that talk about um, moral character. We've got a lot of uh, you know a lot of speakers that talk about that, their own mor- morality, their own their own conscience, uh, legislating on your core beliefs and your core values, and 
our campuses have a lot of great speakers that talk about core values, talk about how they've legislated. Um, their legislative ideas are informed by their core values. And our members develop their own values. Our members develop what's important to them, how, how uh, you know, what actions they take are important and how they spend their time and, 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 and such. Um, and those are the types of conversations that I think inform what type of leaders that these folks are going to be. I mean, college Republicans, we've been around for over 125 years now, and our organization has a very proud record of producing, uh, you know, U.S. members of um, Congress, U.S. presidents, even the current Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, is a college Republican alumni, countless governors. We produce strong leaders, very strong leaders. Um, and that's something that we've always taken pride in, we'll continue to take pride in, is providing opportunities on campus for our folks to, to learn and to measure their values, to, to create which values are important to them and to live with those values um, and help them inform them to make their political decisions after that. So completely unrelated, uh, on the commentary of being a representative of the Republican Party, you know, one issue that I think is really risking the fabric of America's identity are these inflamed tensions and divisions. Of the 63 million Americans who voted for our president, um, there almost is a seemingly divide among those that maybe did not vote as to whether or not they maintain the same ethos of their American identity, the same shared goals and aspirations. Whereas what we know is that if we're really going to build coalitions and consensus and community, it is incumbent on those that maybe disagree with those folks Mm -hmm. to have a conversation, extend a hand, know that there are people that are sitting right next to you at church that have a difference of opinion with you. Um, When you are in a city like San Francisco, or you're in a city like here we are today in New York, or uh, other kind of liberal and democratic bastions, Chicago, L.A., um, it may be easy for mm-hmm. a Republican, particularly a college student, uh, mm-hmm. to, when they say, I have this identity, or this is my political affiliation, for people to have a snap judgment and say, oh, really? Do you support Trump? Do you support this president? Talk to me about a little bit about what kind of emotion or reaction you get, particularly under the the moment of this presidency. Is that an unfair assessment? Do you find your peers distancing themselves from where people perceive, particularly liberal communities perceive the Republican Party to be or not be? Yeah, I, I, I absolutely do. I mean, I think that there's a stigma around being um, a Republican and at this point on campus and in many communities now. Um, and I... <laughs> Unfortunately, I think that's attributed a lot of the times because every time you turn on the television, the media is so fixated on the political divides in this country rather than on the political accomplishments of this country that happen on a bipartisan basis regularly. I mean, some of these accomplishments that I mentioned earlier, um, some of these deregulations, the Whistleblower Act for the Veterans Administration that streamlined and protected whistleblowers, I mean, these happen on a bipartisan basis. It doesn't get reported. doesn't get the headline, which is fine. Media is all about ratings, not necessarily about advocating for the great accomplishments that our country's had recently. But the media is fixated on the divide, and that, I think, has spilled over into other aspects of our society. Fixated on the divide rather than on the accomplishments that we've had on a bipartisan basis. We're always going to have partisan disagreements. It's the nature of our country. It's the nature of our political system. I'm proud of my partisanship, and I hope others are proud of their, their partisanship as well. It's something to be proud of no matter what party you might be in. But the way you respond to those partisanship is not by shouting down a U.S. senator who's having dinner with his wife or stomping your feet and marching away. 
tell me why you believe what you believe. I'll tell you what I believe and why I believe it. Shake hands afterwards. Have a good time. Let's go have a beer. Yeah. Let's talk about it afterwards. Let's move on. I mean, partisanship should be celebrated. It's a great, great benefit to our country. Uh, but the point when tensions are inflamed because of partisanship, because of ideology and a lack of ability to be comfortable with your ideology in public because you're afraid of being shouted down. You're a student in, in class and you're afraid your, your grade is going to be reflective of having an opposing ideology of your professor, of the majority of your, of your schoolmates, is that's not okay. That's something that should not be celebrated. That's something that needs to be fixed. And the right way to do it, I'll leave that to the experts. Yeah. But, um, you know, partisanship should be celebrated. But we're at a point right now that I think um, we're, we're, there's more shouting down than there is uh, conversations happening about partisanship in a productive way. And uh, that's something that needs to be fixed. An exciting um, moment uh, for this country is the sort of changing of the guard that's happening with uh, our public servants um, at all levels. You have um, a record number of, of young um, millennials that are matriculating, matriculating yep. into Congress, for example. You also have, on the heels of that, a generation of folks that grew up um, knowing what Google was from childhood. Right. Um, that are not only technologically savvy, but are building s uh, small businesses and startups at an incredible clip. Um, what do you think, based off of the way that y our current generation of, of younger individuals, of younger leaders, have been raised by, by the dynamics that they've been raised by, that they you know, experienced 9-11 at a young age, that mm -hmm. they know the power of the world and the internet through, uh, you know, in their pockets, that they are a little bit more um, socially progressive, but mindful of the flatness of the world. Um, what does this mean for the face of the types of folks that we might see in office, uh, in, you know, this next generation down the line? Absolutely. I think, well, I think first and foremost, authenticity in the 21st century is so crucial. We've done numbers of studies on, on millennials and how we prefer candidates, how we inform our political opinions across the partisan spectrum. One thing that continues to come up is I want an authentic candidate. I think we saw that in 2016. Absolutely. Two of the candidates that did best with young voters were Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. Absolutely. You know, Donald Trump ran against uh, a candidate in the general election in, in Secretary Clinton who, you know, according to the media, had to have a 27-person team approve tweets before they went out. We all know that there's not 27 people approving the president's tweets. Um, that's an authentic candidate. Agree, disagree with what, what's said. That's another discussion entirely. But he's an authentic candidate. He was an authentic candidate. And he's tweeting what he thinks when he thinks it. He's got an instant reaction. And to a generation that came up with Twitter and Google and Facebook and Instagram, you know, seeing reactions real time rather than seeing a Twitter post to a press release that goes and, you know, collects your cookies and advertises at you for the next three months. Um, I think speaks volumes to the changing political atmosphere that we're in. Twitter and some of these 21st century media platforms are becoming so important to use like a regular person rather than as a political tool. Um, use them to show off who you are. Use them to react like a normal person. That's what you, you, voters want, young voters especially. We want authentic, real people. Bernie Sanders in the, um, in the campaign, in the primary campaign, was the same thing. I mean, he was, he was acting as an authentic Person. You, you could see, okay, I know what he believes. I don't know if I agree with it, but he's drinking the Kool-Aid. He believes what he says. He's, you know, he's with it. Not every other candidate on both sides of the aisles that could be said about. Um, we faced too many people that were part of the political trenches, and um, both, uh, you know, Senator Sanders and, and President Trump during the campaigns, they, they weren't. They came as the authentic people, love them, hate them. They, they were who they are, and 
The American people spoke to that, and um, that's why President Trump was elected, I, in large part, um, due to his authentic nature and say it how it is. And that's something that we saw countless times in focus groups and our polling data, was that people saw these candidates as not ones who are going to give you partisan talking points, but they're just going to say it how it is. Whether you like what they're saying or not, they're saying what they believe. And I think a lot of people were fed up with too much of the uh, Washington, D.C. talking point culture um, penetrating into all aspects of their lives. You've got, we've got a major uh, midterm election, obviously, coming up here in November. A lot of prognosticating as to what the, um, not just the, the, House, the House or Senate may look like, but frankly, what mayorships may look like, governors. Mm-hmm. Um, you had mentioned earlier also the, the robust infrastructure um, of the GOP uh, across states. Yeah. Uh, certainly, when you look at the National Governors Association, um, you see asymmetry between the number of R's in office uh, versus D's. Uh, what is your advice, or what would be your advice, if uh, you you know had t- coffee or a beer with your counterpart on the Democratic side, the executive director of the Democratic Republicans on college Sure. I'll tell them not to work too hard, for the next six <laughs> weeks at least. After that, they can work as hard as they like. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, I would tell them the same thing that I tell all my college Republicans. I would, you know, tell me about your partisanship. That's great. Have a conversation. Let's go have a beer. Yeah. Let's hang out afterwards. Too often, there's uh, shouting down of ideas. There's not a healthy exchange of ideas that results in, oh, that's great. I don't know if I agree with that, but I like where your head's at. We're both, we're both working towards the same goal. Different means, but we've got the same goal in mind. That's awesome. Those conversations aren't happening anymore. And um, we need to expand our ability to do that. We need mm-hmm. our members, our college Republicans, and our college Democrats to be able to work together um, after elections. We don't need you know, political divisiveness to to spill over into friendships, into ruining relationships, all that stuff. That's ridiculous. You know, celebrate your partisanship, be proud of it. But at the end of the day, we're all, we're all trying to get by. We're all trying to live our lives. Let's not ruin each other's lives over something like political ideology. Um, we should be proud of who we are and what we believe uh, and respectful of each other's opinions. Well, I, I think that that call for discourse um, cannot be stated enough. And it is, I think, refreshing for anyone, no matter where they sit, to hear... Um, from a person that disagrees with them, much less you know the executive director of an entire infrastructure focused on an aspect of a political party um, mm-hmm. to sit down and have that beer. So right. I very much appreciate your leadership Absolutely. on this, man. Thank you for, for taking the time to join. I just got Absolutely. one last question for you. As, as we've seen the evolution of the country, um, uh, we are gathered on the heels of the UN General Assemblies. We have a convening of, of uh, multiple delegations of multiple countries, um, also convening at a time where there are broader questions about kind of whether America is, is vested in the U.S. or mm-hmm. in the rest of the world. Um, how has America's identity changed in recent memory? And, and uh, is it on a different bend or is it on a sustained path in terms of who we stand for and who we are? Yeah, well, I think especially since 2016, President Trump campaigned on the fact that he was going to put America first and he was going to ensure that all among all of our international agreements, whether it's NAFTA, NATO agreements, what what whatnot, uh, that he was going to look out for the voters that elected him and the voters that he was elected to represent. So I think that's what you've seen recently when he's tried to renegotiate NAFTA to have some uh, more equitable trade policies between the United States, Mexico and Canada some of the NATO agreements where it's um, reevaluating the uh, amount of dollars that the United States is putting in um, to create fair agreement between the United States and some of these other countries. 
I think that our international standing has has continued to be stronger than ever. I mean, at no point are, are we seeing other countries take the leadership role that the United States has in the past and will continue to do in the future. But I think what the president has done is ensured that um, the voters that put him in office are, are being respected and that the voters that he's elected to represent are being respected. Their tax money is being represented in a way that's um, putting their their conscience and their uh, their elected will um, to work. Ted Dooley, thank you for joining American Enough. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you doing This has been American Enough with Vikram Iyer. American Enough is a production of Mouth Media Network. Contact Vikram with your comments and questions at 844-4-VIKRAM and connect with the show on social media at American Enough. Theme music by Chris Thomas. Episodes available at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. To learn more about Mouth Media Network and how you can partner with this podcast, visit MouthMediaNetwork.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts, callers, and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Mouth Media Network. No portion of the show may be reproduced, published, or rebroadcast without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.